that I wanted you to do. I wanted you to go home and I wanted you to read verse number 8 and try to come up with what, uh, what it is that, uh, that Jude is saying and how it relates to the previous verses in uh, the chapter. Now, before we actually start talking about verse number 8, I want to just quickly review the previous three verses. Number one, as Jude is writing, he gives some examples from the Old Testament about God uh, seeing people who had gone astray in different ways and how that he had not neglected to punish them because of their lack of uh, faith and their lack of respect for him and for his word. And so what are the three examples that Jude gives? What are the three things that he talks about? The first one has to do with the children of Israel. The second one, the angels. And the third one had to do with Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities that surrounded Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we've talked about them. We've spent quite a bit of time dealing with them. And so since we have refreshed our memory, simply saying that they have uh, sinned, what is it that verse number 8, uh, how, what is the relationship that it has? Look at verse 8. He says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. What is it that, he, that he's talking about here? What is it that he says? Well, before we actually answer that question, let's back up and let's talk about a few of the words that are used in the, in the passage. Number one, let's talk about the word dreams. They rely on their dreams. That's an interesting word. Sometimes when we look at dreams or when we look at words, we, we have, a, have a, think we have a concept of what is being said. But this word that's translated dreams is not the normal word that's used for dreams in the Bible. As a matter of fact, this word that's translated dreams here is only used two times in the New Testament. It's used, of course, here in verse number 8 of the book of Jude, and also it's used in the book of Acts chapter 2 at verse number 17. And so as before we actually define the word, let's go back to the book of Acts 2. And let's look at verse number 17, and whoever gets there, go ahead and read that out loud for us. Acts chapter 2, verse number 17. All right. Of course, that is a prophecy from the Old Testament, isn't it? And we read that back in the Old Testament. But the word that's used here for in regard to the older men, where he says that they will dream dreams, that's the same word that's used over here in the book of Jude, verse number 8. Now, what does, what does Peter mean, and quoting from the Old Testament... What does he mean that the old men, older men, would dream dreams? What, what is he having reference to there? That they would have, somebody said it? Prophecy. That they would, they, would be able to, they would be able to prophesy, or literally what I was getting at, is they would have some divine revelations that were given to them. They weren't just having dreams or nightmares or anything like that. It, it wasn't just something that, that normally we do. 
They were having things revealed to them by God. Okay? And, and so we could go to 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, 14, deal with that, talk about it. We don't have to do that tonight. We understand, though, that the dreams that these men were being given in Acts chapter 2 were from who? Where did they come from? Come from God, from the Spirit, of course. Uh, so that, that's that they were divine revelations that were given to them. Now look back at verse number 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh and so forth. These men thought they were having the same kind of thing, the same kind of revelations, as it were, as the men who were spoken of in the book of Acts chapter 2. But they were not having divine revelations. They were not coming up with what they believed or what they taught or what they were trying to persuade the church of based on what God was saying, but they were trying to persuade the church and, and the people uh, that they had influence on based on what? What they thought. What they thought. And so... Well, that's, that's exactly what we're about to, about to cover. King James, notice that that word is in, uh, is in uh, italics, and so the word filthy is not literally there, but the meaning is, and they supplied the word filthy. But if you go to the, uh, uh, for example, if you go to Thayer, uh, the Greek-English lexicon, you know, the, the dictionary, sort of like going to Webster's in, in English, but going to Thayer, he said the word, as used in the book of Jude, verse number 8, means to be beguiled with sensual images and carried away to an impious course of conduct. Now, he's pretty eloquent in his, his definition of it, but notice that they're being beguiled with their own sensual images. Images. They were making these things up. They were making up. It, it was their desires. It was what they wanted. And that's what they were using to, uh, to deceive the people, and it had some bad results. Mounts, in his uh, Greek-English lexicon, he, he, he talks about it, but he just uses one word, delusion. They had been deluded into thinking that, that uh, uh, their, their way of thinking, their thoughts were the, were the ones that, uh, that really counted. Now go back to the book of Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, and look at verse number 10. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 10. While you're turning there, remember that the book of Jude and the book of Second Peter are twin sisters, if you will. They're parallel much of what is said in one is said in the other. And sometimes, as we talked about at the beginning of our study of the book of Jude, uh, sometimes one is accused of copying from the other. But if they come from the same source, the Holy Spirit, then you would expect them to say the same things. Okay? But notice what Peter writes, how he writes uh, the same... He's, he's talking about the exact same thing in Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 10. But what does he say? Bold and willful, 
All right. Notice what Peter says at the first, well, yeah, toward the first part. He said, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. That's the idea that we're having not only in Second Peter, but also in the book of Jude. What these teachers, these false teachers were teaching came from their own desires and their own lusts. And so they were basically, I guess we might say, making it up as they went based on what they wanted. Does that sound familiar? Making it up based on what they want as they, as they went. And so what is the consequence? What, 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 as we look at verse number 8, what is, the, what is it that they're doing when they're, when they're making these things up without God's revelation, and they're trying to teach the church and lead the church astray with them, what is it that they're doing? I want you to notice in verse number 8, three things. Three things. Notice he says that uh, these, in like manner, these people also relying on their own dreams. Number one, defile the flesh. Number two, reject authority. And number three, Blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, if you look at verse number 9, Jude is going to expand on that last one just a little bit. Okay, But let's talk about these three. Talk about the three of these things. Remember, we started our lesson, we ended last week, and I started this week by saying, read verse number 8 and see how they tied in with verses 4, 5, and 6. Well, how do they tie in with verses 4, 5, and 6? Look at that first thing. They, number one, defile the flesh. What had Jude just talked about in verse number 7? Who had he talked about in verse number 7? Sodom and Gomorrah. And the punishment, the sure punishment that God brought on them. And so like Sodom and Gomorrah, what these men were teaching the church to do was to go after fleshly lusts and as a result like Sodom and Gomorrah they were defiling the flesh now if these people lived in pagan societies or familiar with pagan societies prior to becoming Christians would they not already have been acquainted with that kind of worship with the sensuality and all of the things that are sometimes associated with uh, Diana, for example, of the Ephesians, and some of the other pagan gods and goddesses, uh, the temple prostitutes that uh, sometimes were found, and we've talked about them as we've studied through various books of the Bible. And so it seems as though in their own mind they're lusting after these kinds of things, and so what are they doing? They have snuck in the side door. Remember, we, we looked at uh, that earlier in the chapter. They have made themselves one of the brothers and, uh, you know, the brethren there. And now they're leading them astray, taking them back to the way things used to be. That's the way, that's the way they wanted to do it. Their, their own passions, their own lustful desires are, are infiltrating the church. Okay, number two. Not only do they defile the flesh, they also 
reject authority. Now, does that match any, any of the examples that, that Jude has given just previously? When they reject authority, does that, does that match anything else? What about verse number 6? Who's talked about in verse number 6? The angels, what did they do? They didn't keep their own estate, depending upon which translation you're reading from. What did we, what did we say that, that uh, Jude is talking about? They set out to be authorities on their own. And so as a result of that, what did they do? They rejected God's authority. What are these, these false teachers doing in whatever it is that, that they're teaching, what, what is it, what, what's the end result? They are rejecting authority. You see, Jude didn't just reach out and say, pull out of his mind, oh yeah, I remember that story out of the Old Testament. Let me tell you that one about punishment. He, he tells them these things because what the men are doing, Jude says, is equal to what these folks in the Old Testament were doing. He said, let me give you some illustrations, but they're not random illustrations. The things that they're doing equal what these people in the Old Testament did. Look at the last one. They blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, we could spend a lot of time tonight talking about who the glorious ones are. And if we talked about all of the things that commentators say, we'd spend a lot of time. Uh, it could be angels, messengers, whatever. But I think what he's talking about, the glorious ones that he's talking about, uh, is uh, the false teachers were murmuring against the church leaders. And they're murmuring against the apostles. And they're murmuring against even Christ Himself. Do you remember verse 4? What does verse 4 say? Look at it. They denied, they denied even the one who... The Lord yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not the Master. We, remember we talked about the words that are used there. And so who, who did that? Does that correspond to one of the illustrations that he gives? What about verse number 5? Children of Israel. They're called unbelievers there, aren't they? Why? They didn't believe Moses. Why would you bring us out here to starve us to death? Why would you bring us out here? We'd like to go back to, to, to uh, Egypt. And in reality, in rejecting Moses, who did they reject? God. And so as we look at it, these, these men are they're defiling the flesh, they're rejecting authority, and they're blaspheming. The word blaspheming is a word which means what? To speak against, to defile, so forth. They were speaking evil against all of these. Is it possible that there are folks who are like those men today? 
You don't have to go by all the way back to Joseph Smith. He did, yes, I'm not disagreeing with you. But you don't even have to go that far back. You, you can go back to this past Sunday. And in a lot of churches, what have folks done? Substituted their own desires for what divine revelation has said. And when they substitute their own evil desires, are they not like these false teachers? They may not, they may not be substituting the same thing, but if they're substituting their own desires, they're doing the same thing, aren't they? And so what does, what, does, uh, what does Jude say that somebody who would substitute, who would uh, even defile the flesh, who would reject authority? He said God punished those things in the Old Testament. Now let me ask you, stop right here for a second and ask you, why was the Old Testament written? For our learning, for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Written for our, what do we learn? What do we learn from the Old Testament? One thing we learn is how God dealt with people, how God dealt with sin. And so as we look at it, he says, hey, that's what these men are doing. We, we sometimes want to whitewash those kinds of things, don't we? Well, it, it can't be that bad. Just doing, just doing it this, I don't think God would mind if I do it the way I like it rather than the way he said to do it. Well, if you read these passages here, does God mind? Sure. And you can't, you can't get around that. And so, as we look at it then, verse 8 corresponds directly to verses 5, 6, and 7. He didn't just randomly draw those illustrations out of the air. He said, what these people in the Old Testament did are basically the same thing you're doing. It just takes a different form. It takes a different form, but you're doing the same thing. You're committing the same kinds of sin. Okay, Now, I said uh, when they blasphemed the glorious ones, the doxa, uh, when they blasphemed the glorious ones, he said, I, I, I really need to expand on that a little bit. And so he writes verse number 9 for us. He, go ahead. In my studies of this, and, and I use the King James, uh-huh. uh, and you talk about these filthy dreamers. Yeah. Defile the flesh. Yeah. Well, their own lust. Yeah. Their own lust. Well, when does a man lust after a woman? If a man look upon a woman and lust after her in his heart, he's committed adultery with her already. When you look upon, he's talking about the opposite sex. They're talking about the same sex. Yeah. That's what they did. That's what they did. Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, It's like. You get this thought in your head, but it's like a bird landing on your head, I've heard it explained, and it flies off. But if you let that bird make a nest in your hair, then you're going to continue to think about it. Mm -hmm. You're going to have dreams about it. You're going to think about it. 
and, and want it to be like you want it to be. And that's how these things happen in the church. Yeah. That's how these things happen in schools and how they happened in the Catholic church. Yep. They desire to have their own way with these children or with these young boys or these girls. Uh-huh. And, and they kept thinking about it and it going over and over. Then you have this pillar of the church, this man of the church whom everyone thinks so much of, committing such a heinous thing. Yep. How could this possibly be? He let them make a nest in his hair. They, they moved in. They moved in. These men rejected God and sought after each other. Yep. Because that's what they wanted. Yep. And they committed these heinous crimes. Well, it's not just a crime against who they're lusting after. Yeah. It's not just a crime against them. It affects everyone they know, their whole family, their spouse, their children. The parents are the one they're yeah. lusting after. Yeah. It's all these things. And, and so the lesson I get is God teaches us to handle this by knowing our mind. Yeah, being we aware do. of our mind. And to think on these things is false. Philippians chapter 4. Don't four. think on these evil things. Don't let them make a nest in you. Yeah. And... You know, going back to what Jude is writing about, these things are, these men have slipped into the church. They have made their way into the church, as we said, the word seems to indicate coming in the side door, as it were. And they're trying to convince the church, persuade the church, that all of this is okay. Does that sound familiar? Did you know that the Nazis had death squads? that they would take from city to city, and they're the ones who executed the Jews? Where did they get these squads? From ordinary people. Mm -hmm. And they brainwashed them and taught them that it was all right. Yep. And they believed it. So everyone, and, everyone uh, can be led away. And, and the thing about it is, our own society is in the, is in the, same, is in the same boat. It's in the same boat. And so, you know, we don't study sometimes these one-chapter books as much as we should because uh, if we did and we, if we really thought about what they had to say, uh, we probably would be standing firmer against some of the things that are, that are out there, but, the, but the slipping in. We need to watch now, especially elections coming on before you know it. Mm-hmm. Look at our presidents, our past presidents, in light of these verses. Right. Nixon said, if the president does it, it's not against the law. So if I want to do these things as president, I can do them. Yep. Clinton says, define sex. Yep. But the, but the sad thing about it was the society had long been that way in the day that Jude is writing this. If you go back and you read the Roman, regarding the Roman Empire, it had long been the way that it was. Brother Tommy? I noticed the article, I think it's in uh, Sunday's paper. I don't know if anyone in here read it or not, but it was about the Methodist Church, and they are fixing to have their big conference, and it's like every five years mm -hmm. they change 
the rules of the discipline the mm -hmm. church and what their comment was the big item this time is is whether the congregations of their church will agree on same-sex marriages and another issue is uh, a person that's in a same-sex marriage to be a minister in the Methodist Church mm -hmm. and the other one I forgot what it was but anyway what some big guy has some kind of authority with their organization was suggesting one church that's what he called it, one church and they would these three divisions would be able to decide which one of those they wanted they would to allow or wouldn't allow. Uh -huh. uh, When when you got three different three divisions, it's just, it's just still one. What they're trying yeah. to do is keep membership, or they already right. they're expecting some to, to leave uh, leave their organization. But uh, that's the shape our country is. Right, and that that was that was the point that I started making. The Roman society had long been that way. Jude's not writing about society. Jude is writing to the church. What did he start to write about? What was his intent to write? His intent was to write about the common salvation, but because of the things that had started happening, he saw that it was needful that he had to change his, his letter. And so he's not talking about the things on the outside. He's not talking about the outside world. He's talking about the church. He's writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ, trying to persuade them not to listen to these men and warning them against that. You know, the only authority that these men, that, that Jude is writing about, the only authority that, that these men recognized was their own. They, they were the only ones who, who thought that they were, you know, capable of making a decision. They, they made their own decision based on what they wanted. And they were trying to persuade the church, infiltrating the church, trying to take the church with them. Okay? All right, now look at verse number, number 9. Verse number 9, he expands on what he was talking about at the end of verse number 8, blaspheming the glorious ones. He says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses... He did not, to, uh, did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, let's talk about this verse a little bit. Let's think about it. When we talk about Michael the archangel, uh, we've already mentioned archangels prior, a little bit earlier in this book, but uh, what is an archangel? One who is... In charge, okay. Uh, if you go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 10, we won't take time because we're running out of time. But if you go back to Daniel, chapter 10, verse 13, chapter 10, verse 21, and chapter 12, verse number 1, 
Michael, the chief, uh, chief prince, the way it's translated in the English Standard Version, is spoken about. The one who came and, and is dealing with Daniel. Same Michael. That's who we're talking about. Uh, Michael, the angel. Also mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, at verse number 7. The Bible says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And so we've got him mentioned in the Old Testament, got him mentioned in the, the New Testament as well. But notice what the Bible says here in verse number 9, that he contended with the devil, disputing about the body of Moses. Where else do you read about that? Where else do you read about Michael the archangel contending with the devil about the body of Moses? You don't. But just because you don't read it in the Old Testament does not, does, does not make it untrue. Jude is writing by inspiration. That part was revealed, what happened then was revealed to us through Jude. Just like God revealed many things about creation and so forth through Moses, who, who wasn't alive, by the way, when, when those things happened, but God revealed those things to him. He reveals this to Jude about the devil and, and uh, Michael contending uh, over the body of Moses. What does the Bible say about the body of Moses? You ever thought about that? Go back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 34 verses 4 through 6. Deuteronomy 34 verses 4 through 6. Remember Moses had sinned by striking the rock. When God told him to speak to it, because Moses didn't listen to him, God said, you've dishonored me, and as a result of that, you will not go into the promised land. Well, in Deuteronomy 34, we're coming to the end of, of the book, and in verses 4 through 6, we have Moses going up on the mountain and looking in the, into the promised land, getting to, getting to view it, as it were. Beginning in verse 4, the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. What does the Bible say happened to the body of Moses? God buried him. What means does Jude seem to suggest God used to bury Moses? You got Michael contending with the devil, disputing about what? What are the angels? They're messengers, but they're also servants of God. It may very well be that Jude tells us how Moses got buried. That, that Michael was the one who took care of God's part, who did the will, will, the will and the work of God. But at any rate, Satan or the devil was disputing about the body of Moses with Michael. 
Nowhere else is that revealed to us. We have an inspired man revealing it to us, Jude revealing it to us. But what did Michael not do when they were having their, we'll just say it like we try to understand it, when they were having their argument over Moses' body, what did Michael not do? All right, he, he let God do it, and, and, and that, that second part of what you were saying is what I, what I wanted to get to. He didn't presume to pronounce a railing accusation, depending upon which translation you're reading from, a blasphemous judgment, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, I want you to think of it in these terms. You see... He is, Jude is expanding on what he just got through saying in verse number 8 about blaspheming the glorious ones. And he gives this illustration about Michael, the archangel, arguing with the devil. Michael did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. He merely rebuked him. Allowed God, the Lord rebuke you, is what he said. But these men about whom Jude writes were willing and did speak blasphemous things against God's holy ones. They did that. And so, in reality, what Jude is telling us here is that these men said things about God's holy ones, God's glorious ones, that even one of the chief angels in heaven wouldn't even say about the devil himself. Did you catch the power of what Jude wrote? These men were saying things about God's people, and perhaps even God himself, that an angel wouldn't even say about the devil. That's strong. That is strong. And so, do you think they're going to pay for it? These men who are talking bad about God's people, when Michael won't even say it about the place that a punishment has been prepared for himself? Wow. That's bad stuff. That is really bad stuff. Yeah, we, it, it tells us we better be careful. Absolutely. We, we sure had better be careful with our words. Now, I, can't, I, I want you to think about today's society. What are many people out in our world, out in our society, what do they say about Christians and Christianity in general? I mean, it's getting really, really bad, isn't it? Getting really, really bad. But remember, these men, as we've already stated tonight, they were in the church. They were already there. They'd slipped in the side door. All right, we'll pick up. The bell has rung. We'll pick up there next week. And... Uh,